0: Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sanjay Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sanjay Gall.
1: Hello and uh, welcome to CTN. To learn more about the show, please visit ciotalknetwork.com. Now, the topic is a very important one, which is the state of value-based care. Now, value-based care is actually a proposed healthcare delivery model for the United States where the health outcome for the patient is very important. It's critical. And it's about the value of the health outcome than the volume of services which we were traditionally used to paying for and were not able to make a correlation. But then to what degree has it been adopted and how are the results are they matching up to what was originally promised? And so, what's the roadmap to making it a standard, a gold standard for healthcare delivery? So we wanted to discuss this. And I could not have had a better guest than Girish Vankatachalia, who is the chief technology officer with Ajalan Health. Hey Girish, how are you, sir? Good, Sanjay. How are you? Very good. Can't complain, sir. Enjoying life. How about you? Good, good. It's All great. right, beautiful. Beautiful. So let's talk about the value-based care. The concept is not new. Quite I mean, I'd say not quite a few, but yeah, number of years old in terms of when it was introduced. And there was a lot of fanfare and everybody was looking forward, at least the patients were at the very least. Mm -hmm. But then we saw much less adoption than anticipated. So if you had to inventory the top challenges, which is holding back, the desired level of value-based
2: care adoption. What would that be? Wow, that's um, a fantastic question to start the discussion here. Um, I'd kind of start with: for value-based care to truly work, right, payers and providers have to be in lockstep. Fee-for-service medicine. You talked about it as you know, um, the one that is based on volume of services. Uh, puts them at odds with each other, right? So, so the payer is trying to push down the, the provider rates, the provider is trying to push back on payer's rates. Value-based care is a an complete antithesis to that, right? It is a new muzzle and in some ways a work in progress. And one that needs absolute collaboration between these two and a deep sense of partnership, right? And I would call it like three areas, right? So, So one it's about sharing of risk, right? So both the payers and providers have to take care of both the upside and downside risk and they need to share in that, which implies the second thing, which is about sharing of data, right? For for them to be meaningful to each other, they have to share a lot of the clinical information. They have to share financial performance and most importantly, the quality scores and everything else. And the third is the constant alignment to outcome. Right, um, It's about governing around communities of patients and seeing what actually is working in those communities. And it's very much a very local kind of a phenomenon as well. And if you think about it, <coughs> payers and to an extent providers are not set up to actually do that and to do that at scale, right? Um, so if you think about it, most providers don't have the capital structure to take downside risk. Um, they they just can't like I mean their partnership model doesn't allow for them to have millions of dollars in buffers should something go downward right. The second is they typically don't have technology right most independent PCPs don't have an incredible you know technology team that can then synthesize all of this data that they're getting from payers and what have you. And the third is that. They don't have the time to govern these relationships with payers across, um, you know, um, the variety of uh, patients they work with. And many times they work with a whole host of payers as well. And for all the reasons why they are seeing Agilon to be beneficial, right? We are able to provide them capital support, technology support, and a governance mechanism. So from our viewpoint, uh, the value-based care adoption is just absolutely spiraling, and we are seeing a great level of inbound. And what's also helping is that CMS is mandating by 2030 that they want 100% of Medicare um, to be in full risk contracts. So that's also kind of helping. So I saw, certainly you're right in that initial days, there was a little bit of jaggedness to adoption, but there was all of these structural factors. There are companies like Agilon and others that are helping overcome those structural barriers and hopefully we'll see much increased adoption. We're certainly seeing a massive uptick in the last couple of years.
1: So you mentioned about the Medicare adoption is going, uh, you know, great guns and it's exponentially increasing. And if you look at the healthcare delivery uh, overall, it's a percentage, right? It's a large enough yeah. percentage. It's a percentage of overall how patients get served. Yeah. What about the rest of the sectors, like the private sector, non-Medicare, Medicaid sectors?
2: That's a tough one, right? Because see, um, you know, back in the early days, right? um, An employee would stay with an employer for a number of years. Now with, you know, the workforce mobility being what it is, it's harder for an employer to commit to an employee for a long term because the employee is not committed to the employer for the long term. Right. Back in the days when I spent a lot of time in IBM, one joined IBM hoping to retire at IBM. Right. And then there was a lot of incentive for IBM, therefore, to take care of my health outcomes for a number of years. Right. So there was an alignment then of wanting to care about value of healthcare. Right now, every employer is focused on, you know, not every employer, but a good handful, the way the system is built is about that transactional thing for a year, right? And every year they're looking to negotiate for the best contract for the next year. So it really becomes hard to have that enduring thing that is about health outcomes in the longevity of the patient. Um, And therefore, I see that to be really hard to implement in commercial setting. So...
1: One is for us to look in uh, outside in at a patient, saying we want uh, that control, we want that the world-class delivery. But what signs are actually that the patient themselves want? Of course, they want the best delivery, but they want more control over their healthcare choices and service delivery. When I'm sick, yeah, I just want to be treated, and I want to go to. Uh, someone who is an expert and literally hand over my life and my wellness in their hands has the patient preference changed in that regard or some people are so frustrated they say you guys cannot do a good job so let me take control
2: you know it's it's kind of a i, I would say the the times of the informed patient have certainly picked up a lot right and um, you know i would i would say three things right so when i think about The type of care, right? The sheer number of uh, folks who are researching medical articles, the sheer number of patients that do a lot of homework ahead of their visit with the doctor. You know, if you just look at the abundance of Google searches, you know, you see that the patients care about the type of care they're getting and they want to be better informed of it. Right, And you'll see even like healthcare institutions like Mayo Clinic and so on, really talk and, and spend a lot of time in having content for patients, right? And pharmaceutical companies have been marketing to patients a lot. And so you see that the patient, you know, having more information than ever before. Uh, so I think that, that being the patient centricity and assuming more control, I'm seeing more of it. Um, certainly the second is the medium of care, right? Um, And and probably the one thing that came out of COVID is, you know, uh, patients have become much more technology savvy, right? They're willing to accept a video phone call instead of, you know, a video call instead of actually meeting with the physician a lot more. They're, you know, much more proactive with scheduling and knowing the timeliness in which they should go. And you know they know that their drug can be delivered to their doorstep and they don't have to go spend time you know trying to figure out the best pharmacy to get the the drug from right so so the so the second thing where the patient feels in control is the kind of the medium of care right whether it is the delivery or what the third is is the price of care this is really early days and i hope it does better right is the 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 price transparency that is part of the the cares act and and other things um, is, you know, it's really starting to get a bit more noticed by patients. And, you know, when you can truly shop around for your care, I think that starts to, you know, you know give more control to the patient, right? So, you know, even in, in dire situations or where like the, the one you talked about, Sanjog, where if you're really sick and, you know, most times people would just surrender to the nearest, you know, thing, Now people do a lot more thoughtful research and even on their way to the hospital, they have the ability to get at that research and figure out, you know, is this the right thing for me, right? And they're able to, in many cases, push back or, or, you know, on some suggestions that they think is not in their best interest.
1: So this whole thing about someone having, say, not a headache, but something painful enough or inconvenient enough that they will call the doctor and they'll be okay to take a video call. But then when the level of care requires, or the patient themselves feel that I need a little more attention than just getting on a, you know, a video call. What about those situations? Do you see as a percentage of the healthcare being delivered today, are those benign type of headache kind of uh, issues are more uh, getting transferred towards value-based care or the ones which require a far bigger level of investment in terms of diagnostics and eventual cure, are those the ones? Because there is more money involved in the latter.
2: Yeah. So I think, uh, Sanjog, it's a really great question. The way I see it is almost value-based care has been predominantly and and dominantly only in the senior citizen population in the Medicare space. Um, there's almost very little value-based care in the um, under 65 population. And the reason is because you, know, you have government as the single payer in some ways that is willing to commit for the entirety and the, you know, of the patient's life, right? And they're required to, right? Um, as part of you know uh, what Medicare Act is. So you see value-based care only playing almost exclusively in the senior citizen 65 and older population. You rarely see value-based care anywhere below 65, right? And you would see it in very extreme cases or like where a corporation like Walmart or something is investing in something a bit longer. But all of the choices almost are the senior citizens uh, 65 and older, in at least in how we experience value-based care.
1: Now. If the patient does not get what they need or the outcome of whatever treatment that was done wasn't favorable and patient said, I wanted to take control of the decisions related to how you would diagnose versus how you'll treat. I'm just taking that possibility of things going south. Who
2: will be liable in that case? Yeah, you know, so this is a tricky one, um, right? Um, and, and you see this a lot in our value-based care, um, you know. Uh, so so the whole notion of being a patient-centric healthcare model does mean you're respecting the patient's choice. And, you know, and and it comes with accepting that the patient choice may be different, you know, and, and may have a different goal in mind than a physician. I'll give you an example, right? Um, say somebody wants to spend time with their grandchildren who are there, they're visiting and the physician feels that there's a medical procedure that the person needs to have at that time. The patient may choose to defer that med- medical procedure because they want to spend that quality time with their grandchildren, right? It may mean their life may be shortened or they may have some disastrous medical consequence, right? But who is to say that that is the right thing? Right? What is the outcome that matters? Is it prolonging the life or prolonging the joy of the life that they have, right? And so it's really hard to debate which is more meaningful to the patient, whether it's the extra days or the extra days with the grandchildren, right? Um, and in the same thing can be said about palliative care. I mean, is it valuable to live a lower quality of life for more days or a higher quality of life for lesser days, right? which is which outcome is the right thing, right? Medical terms, maybe living longer may be the right thing, but in patient terms, it may not be, right? So what really matters in this is that the patient and the physician are very much in sync and that they optimize for the outcome that truly matters to the patient, right? And that may not be the outcome as measured in clinical ways. It may be in, in a lot of quality of life ways, and it's accepting that, right? And as long as the patient feels that they're in control, I think that is the most promising place to be.
1: And as a contract, would you think patient will still let go because that person chose to stay with the grandchildren and not go through a medical procedure? And if things go south, being in the litigious society that we live in, would that come and harm us
2: or, or haunt us? You know, th- that's a very tough one for me to um, talk about Sanjog, but uh, I would say, you know, if the patient is making their choice and there is enough, you know, written consent or whatever that, you know, most physicians do capture that, um, then that is, you know, um, an informed choice, right? Um, yeah, so, that's, what I, that's yeah. what I was looking for. It's not a
1: casual discussion. There is a paperwork when you're making a choice. So it's not a casual discussion. It's more than that. It's a process that you're going to incorporate there.
2: Yeah, it is certainly, you know, one that I think, um, yeah, needs to be very thoughtfully considered.
1: So taking the critical success factors or rather the KPIs of value-based care, when anyone set out to make that a reality and try to get that most widely adopted, how promising have been the results?
2: You know, I can quote a lot of facts and figures, um, you know, that that talks about the quadruple aim of value-based care, right? That is about, you know, there are just numerous examples of higher quality of care, lower cost, better provider and patient satisfaction. I would say that, you know, for me, I really fixate on, you know, what it means to be um, about higher quality clinical care, right? What it means is that somebody with chronic diabetes is not losing their vision. Or being on dialysis for the rest of their life. It is about patients having better quality of life in the evening of their lives. It is avoiding like unnecessary or frequently wasteful tests that consume a lot of our senior citizens' life. Like for me, you know, what I see about value based care is it's truly better care. And we have countless physician stories, patient stories in our communities where it has made a material difference in the life of that individual. because they have had an entire care team that is focused on their health outcome. And, oh, my God, it's just uh, amazingly heartwarming to hear those stories. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back after these messages. And let's talk about technology, how
1: technology is uh, essentially paving the path to realizing this uh, so much wanted healthcare delivery model, which is supposed to benefit all, and what are the related challenges we are already encountering or we are likely to encounter during this adoption journey? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back.
0: Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN, CIO Talk Network, You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Joe Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOtalknetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back.
1: So, let's let's look at the technology and see how is that helping in terms of getting value-based care. It's already off the ground, but get it more widely adopted for it to incrementally or in a quantum way, get a good value out of this investment. And and as as technology is being adopted within healthcare, and we know healthcare has its own legacy challenges with technology adoption. Besides that, what other challenges are we already seeing as we have technology trying to help value-based
2: care become mainstream? yeah um great question, Sanjay. I mean, here's kind of um I'll say something that may be surprising or maybe even controversial, right um but but maybe not controversial, but but certainly surprising, right? Uh, one is that you know when a physician is looking at a patient's eyes and and trying to make a diagnosis or trying to you know walk them through a decision or something, there's not a lot that technology can do, right. But what technology can help with is being efficient about that time, right? And, you know, and and kind of being simplified about like what really matters in that moment of care, right? And and informing the the physician ahead of time. But even broader than that, right? When we think about, you know, you said this coveted healthcare delivery model, right? Uh, What value-based care is really about also treating communities, right? Um, And in general, making the community healthier um, and and better off uh, as a result of it. And this is kind of where most PCPs have a lot of blind spots, right? Is that they don't know which of their sickest of patients need to be brought in sooner, right? So when, when a patient comes in and they're in that moment of care, they do a fantastic job, right? But what if there is a person who should actually be coming in because they haven't refilled their inhaler for COPD? right? Or that they haven't run a test or they need to titrate the medicine better. And if they have not come in, that has a lot of consequences. And a physician on their own will not have the time or the wherewithal to go seek out those patients unless they're in value-based care, right? Where the economics are actually tied to them actually caring about that entirety of their population. And so this is kind of where I think, you know, value-based care is helping is in physicians trying to more proactively seek out those patients that they should be seeing. The second place where technology is helping them is in um, areas and patterns that they should pay additional emphasis to, right? If somebody walks in with, you know, a broken, um, you know, ankle or something, right? that may be the thing that they need to treat in the moment that's also true but they may be you know other things like a mammogram screen or something that is probably also valuable for that patient to have that you know if they're already in the care setting they can be much more optimized about it and these are the things that the 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 technology can help prompt the the physician to you know also assess for the patient right and then uh, the the third place technology can be really meaningful and you know is um But what options are right for the patient, right? And, you know, whether it is that they don't have enough to, you know, um, supply or they don't have the ability to keep coming back to the, you know, to the care setting, you know, multiple times or that they need to be screened for, you know, some set of things. And, you know, so it's really about all of that. Like, you know, it's like really looking at um, the, the kind of blind spots that the doctor doesn't see outside of the care setting right? And that's really where technology can be most useful, right? Um, And like, you know, like you'll see a lot of patients bouncing back between hospital and home. The PCP will have no idea that's happening, right? And and just giving them visibility means that they have the ability to intervene and help that patient with the right um, set of, um, you know, care, if you will, to prevent them from being hospitalized repeatedly, right?
1: Now, what you just mentioned about efficiency, right? And which makes sense that we need the process to become efficient, which has an impact on the cost. There is also effectiveness. And to yeah. that end, you mentioned there are some areas in which technology can try to help become effective. Now, I wish only with technology we will turn the ship around, right? There has to be some underlying process changes or Culture that would foster that kind of a mindset. And the people who come when they get up in the morning, they mm-hmm. don't get up to say, I just have to do a job or I have to make so much money alone from treating patients, but actually say, I'm going to make a difference in the life of these patients, which could become far more foundational than just slapping technology. I'm not saying technology is trivial, but there's far more foundational, right? So, what would you have said to the kind of people process culture kind of elements, what changes should be brought in those for technology along with it to bring the desired, uh, this value-based care to the desired state?
2: I think a great question, Sanjog. Um, and, and I fully agree with you that technology is um, only a part of the answer. Um, and, um, you know, it just like I, I look at, um, you know, in this job, I have an opportunity to work with a lot of PCPs and just the incredible drive um, and, and the sheer level of admiration I have for them and how much they care about their patient. I mean, my goodness. I mean, it just brings, um, you know, uh, tears to my eyes in just uh, seeing that commitment. Right. Now, I would say the, the first thing is the trust that they have right, between uh, the, them and the patient, that is so significantly underinvested in our healthcare ecosystem. Right? Um, there is enough evidence that communities that have more PCPs tend to live longer. It, it's also clear, like, patients have an incredible amount of trust in the PCPs as the stewards of their health right? I mean, many of these PCPs that we work with have served in the same community, their fathers or their parents, their grandparents have all served in the communities. So some we have had 100 year relationship and some many have met them since uh, they were a child, right? So there's an incredible amount of trust, right? So the more we can enhance that trust, I think is when we get the best results, right? So that means like building a team of care coordinators and others that to kind of you know, feed off that trust of the PCP in the help of that patient. The second is is time, right? Um, And this is probably a place where technology can make a difference, right? The most crucial element of healthcare in general is that time that the PCP spends with that patient, right? Optimizing for that time is what we put a lot of effort in is truly where technology can make a massive difference. The PCP may be really, really good, right so think of this i mean i have um, you know I, I just heard a great analogy this morning right it's like you know uh, uh, we all trust our pilots when we are in a plane right and it's really really fantastic right and by far and away the pilot is to be the most trusted when you are on a journey with that fish, with that with that plane but if they don't have a map right there's not a lot that the pilot can do being the best pilot on earth right in some ways technology provides that map right that when you know when coupled with the pilot provides you the best outcome right and in some ways that's kind of what i see right the third is you know what what you talk about culture it's it's really you know i would say influence right um 3 to 5% of our healthcare spend is on the pcp right but they actually influence 80% of healthcare yet the pcp has so little influence and s- and a complete lack of visibility in most parts of healthcare ecosystem, right? If we can truly bring a lot more visibility to the rest of the healthcare ecosystem, which specialist did the patient go to? Which hospital did they get admitted? When did they get discharged? Um, I will tell you, if a PCP meets with the patient within 48 hours of discharge, it dramatically cuts down the readmission risk. All the PCP has to do, Sanjog, is just explain, these are the medications you have been prescribed. This is the the treatment protocol that is right for you. And kind of this is what else you are also suffering from. And this is kind of the best way to take care of, you know, uh, take these medicines or whatever and titrate the medicine appropriately. Just that, maybe 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes, dramatically cuts the patient's, you know, uh, risk of readmission, right? Um, These are things that I think just culturally and process and people and all that will make a fundamental difference in the health outcome of a patient and truly make value-based care um, truly about value.
1: And do you see uh, light at the end of the tunnel? Because there is so much that needs to get done in these areas, right?
2: Yeah, it's certainly starting to take a material hold in, in in the 65 and over population, Sanjog, right? And we are seeing an incredible difference and there are communities that have experienced real benefits of it. And we are seeing, an, you know, an increasing movement towards it, right? So I do believe that this is taking hold and the more we can start to build, you know, uh, alignment around it, I think it will start to become more the de facto norm. And when that is successful in the 65 and over, then the commercial folks will be, you know, required to follow suit, right? And how and where that model will go remains to be seen. But I do see a time where, you know, healthcare will become truly about caring for health. Um, right now, it's about treatment of diseases, right, or conditions. Security governance.
1: These are sometimes seen as an overhead. They are necessary evil, but they are very important. Especially, we have heard numerous cases where, in fact, there is a prediction being made that healthcare will be a huge target of people who are trying to harm individuals or representatives of an institution by reaching out to those individual and harming them using the vulnerabilities that might exist in, in a hospital system or wherever else they can get access to. So the stakes are mighty high now. So Perfect. which means Perfect. the security and the governance issues that will have to be tackled while we want to get to this Holy Grail of value-based care. So which challenges that we know that obviously exist, which we need to tackle, and what are those not-so-obvious issues
2: which yeah. we need to tackle head-on so we can get to this progressive model? Um, Sanjay, you were right on point in that healthcare is um, perhaps the most hacked industry Um, And one that is because, you know, the the healthcare data is by far the most important of data in some ways and is one that is subject to the most, you know, intrusion, so to say. Without a doubt, you know, every um, night and day, um, you know, security and governance is top of mind for everybody in healthcare and certainly as a CTO, um, very top of mind uh, for everything we do. Um, so, so that's kind of really, really important, um, and there's just a lot of challenges with it. Um, but I'll also take the other side of this, right? Which is the patient-centric side of it, which is um, that there is um, needs to be a more efficient way to share healthcare information. So I'll give you an example, um, Sanjog. Um, I, I think you know a lot of healthcare companies have weaponized HIPAA and made it to where the information gets locked in to their um, companies and their healthcare practices and not allows for sharing, right? Um, I'll give you an ex- example, right? If um, I get um, you know, hit by a truck in some city and I get admitted to the nearest hospital, it will be very hard for that hospital to figure out what medications I am on, what allergies I have, and what I need to do. Uh, or what is right for me, they will treat with whatever um, they have, um, which is frightfully little about me, right? And that's not right either, right? So I totally, as as the CTO side of me, totally get um, the security governance. And in many ways, I thought HIPAA was the right construct for portability of that information and about sharing of that information. What's happened is that people have taken that act to create barriers for an easy sh- transfer of information consequently for me on the patient side of me is actually worried that this is not actually getting the fluidity of data and of information for me in the moment of care that i need to be treated rightly right and so so both sides are worrying and you know it's it's one has to strike a balance between the two and that's probably i would i would portrays the biggest issue more than any one side of it, right? How do you balance the need for a free flow of information and yet have security and governance layered on top of it to prevent bad actors from leveraging that information? Um, Easier said than done, but that's probably the biggest challenge in my view. Is it a catch-22 in your view, or is it a solvable problem? in It growth? is very solvable, Sanjog, because we do that in banking. We do that in financial transactions. We do it in you know just about everything else in our lives, and we have found a way to strike the right balance where I can get something that is made in some remote part of the world at my doorstep, and I can transfer money in seconds to any part of the world. So if it can be done for things that really... For the four of the remaining $5, why can't we do it for that one of every $5 we spend on healthcare? So regulations, we know
1: those are constraints, those are not problems, so we have to live with them. But still, I believe that ecosystem that we're trying to build, uh, the healthcare delivery standard uh, based on value-based care, we want to develop, you would have issues uh, related to the healthcare value chain where... There could be weaker links. Then there could be individual organizational leadership that might have to be reviewed and revamped. And of course, the regulations, the policymakers have to be appealed to. So That's a loaded question, but if you had to take some specific pointers in terms of the changes we should bring into the regulations, the healthcare value chain, the way the value chain operates, and
2: also the leadership styles, what would those be? Wow. Loaded questions, Sanjog. Um, You know, as I said, you know, one out of five dollars we make, we spend on healthcare, right? Which, you know, when you compare it to every other country on earth is far in excess um, in, in every sense, right? So we are clearly spending a lot, um, but I don't know that we are getting the best outcome for it, right? So when you think about regulation and the healthcare value chain, um, it is really in how is that we get better value for the money that we are spending, right? Um, there's many regulations endeavoring to solve that, but you get then a bunch of, you know, vested services and people in, in involved, and that gets con- contorted to where, you know, it starts to become dilutive when, you know, I experience it as a patient, right? So, there are just so many people invested in the volume of services rather than the value of services, that it really is a hard change for regulation to take hold. But that's fundamentally what we need to change, right? And I think probably the best way to change it is to have price transparency, right? If we can truly figure out what a healthcare cost is when we are, taking, when we are consuming healthcare, I think that makes a massive difference. Right. When did we last shop for an MRI, Sanjog? Right. When do we know what is the price in one place versus a different place? Like, How much does an x-ray cost in a one place versus a different place? Right. We don't. Like, How much does a, my physician charge me? I don't know. And I get that 90 days later, sometimes 30 days later, sometimes you know, much later than that. Right. I mean, who knows? I don't know till, till that point. And chances are the physician himself or herself doesn't know. Right, if we have such an opaque system, how do we actually get capitalism to actually work? right? How do we drive like a true level of um, competitive behavior that makes these things better for us as a consumer? right? And I think that is fundamentally what's missing in healthcare. and you know when we talk about regulations and healthcare value chain, what I would say is anything that would foster a level of true thing where People will compete for my um, time as a patient, and my services as a patient is truly what will make it better and much more efficient, right? Which is really what is fundamentally missing in healthcare, right? As you know, as leadership style goes, what I would say, you know, in in the world that we operate in today, Sanjog, um, it is um, really about partnership. It's about collaboration. It's about alignment. And thankfully, a lot of that exists in value-based care, right? And, you know, by the nature of things, the payer has to be in partnership with the provider who has to collaborate very closely with the patient. And there's a fantastic alignment of economic incentive for it to truly work, right? So the more we can emulate that in the commercial space and the more we can try to, you know, be much more open about the ROI of the care that is being delivered, I think we will get to a much better place. And it's very doable with regulation.
1: Once again, thank you so much, Girish, for sharing your insights about the current state of value-based care, the challenges and the opportunity ahead, and perhaps a good pointer, a set of good pointers that you shared on how to make it a reality. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Sanjay. This has been a pleasure. And listeners, please connect with us on social media. Subscribe to our podcast once again. Thank you for listening to CTN. This is your host, Sanjay, All, signing off. Till next week, take care and God bless.